0: Philippians 3, 1 through 11, in a study we're calling Joy in Christ, is, really, is really one of the themes of this book, Joy in Christ, as we, as we walk with the Lord and, um, you know, the Lord begins to work in our life. He wants to produce joy. So let's, let's pray and let's uh, see what the Lord has for us. Father, thanks so much for the chance to worship you and to... And to um, minister to you, Lord. We, Lord, we're reminded of the uh, passage in the book of Acts, Lord, where it says that they were ministering to you, Lord, and, and that's when you spoke to Paul and Barnabas to tell them to, um, you know, go into the work of the ministry, Lord, and Lord, in a sense, Lord, we want to spend this night ministering to you, Lord, because we know that as we minister to you, Lord, you'll minister to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue that good work that you began in our lives, changing us and molding us and shaping us. Pray, Lord, that we'd be people characterized by joy, Lord, for you have done so much for us, Lord, and you want to do so much for us and also in us. And so help us, Lord, to align our minds with your will, in Jesus' name, amen. So I've come to the reality that I do not have a green thumb. I don't. Everything I plant dies. And if you think I'm joking, all you have to do is look at my house before, when I first bought it, and now. I used to have an evergreen tree, and I, I found out what an evergreen tree looks like when you put black plastic around it, you know, because, I, I mean, it, we, we had one brother in a church, you know, he w- works on trees, and I was telling him, i would put black plastic in, and he said, oh, you can't do that, it'll smother it, and I was like, oh, I think it'll be fine. Well, it turns out my neighbor would pester me every day, hey, that tree's dying, and sure enough, it... It died, and so we did the old, old school cut down way with, you know, with the rope and cut the thing down. So there goes that big, beautiful evergreen tree. I killed it. Whatever flowers I plant ends up dying. Now, my ground is not cursed, I don't think. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure other people can get things to grow in my ground. So It's not my ground, it's, real, it's me. I hinder growth by putting things like black plastic around my trees and, and flowers, Not watering right, you know, if the sprinkler breaks, so it'll be fine for a couple (laughs) years, right? Or not doing the things like I should, right? Like putting fertilizer down, or if I do put fertilizer down, I put like a big old like pile, and I and I wonder why the stuff dies underneath it because it you know just eats it up. So maybe you can give me some lessons after church. But either way, I'm the root and the cause of it all. Now, what in the world does this have to do with our life in Christ? in the passage before this evening. Nothing, I just wanted to kind of get that out, right? because (laughs) it's springtime, I I really did. No, Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, as a believer, you and I can have joy as we walk with Christ. Paul in Galatians five, we talked about it a couple times so far in our studies. He says, one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. He said, here's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy right, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, but joy is that characteristic that should come from our life as we're in Christ. Now, just as God has established that grass, trees, and other vegetation grow naturally in good ground and conditions, even so, joy should come forth naturally, or even supernaturally, better put, as we walk with Christ. Now, the good thing about joy, in contrast to grass and things like that, is our joy is not based on circumstances or conditions like natural fruit. Regardless of wind or rain or freezes, whatever Satan might come to bring our way, you know, whatever he might you know, bring against our life, the Lord, as we abide in him, will bring forth joy from our life. He'll give us the power to abide and to bring forth joy. Now, while circumstances and, situ- and situations can hinder our joy, there are elements that can do so. And that element is you and I. We can choose to not apply the principles of Scripture or to not abide in Christ and thus hinder the growth and the joy that the Lord wants to do in our life. A case in point is Jesus' parable of the sower in the Gospels. You know, and he referred to the grounds there. He says, in reality, there are four different types of hearts. And the sower went out to sow seed and some seed fell on the ground the, Wayside, which is the hard, beaten path. The birds of the air came and ate it up, and it said, then some seed fell on the stony ground and, you know, the shallows, so the seed went in and planted, and, you know, as it grew up, the, the sun came out and scorched it because it didn't have roots planted down. Some seed fell on the crowded ground with all the thorns, but as soon as the plants started growing up, the thorns choked it out. And then finally it says, but then some fell on the good ground, the ground that was plowed and, and that was the ground that produced fruit and fruit that remains. And then he said these are conditions of the heart, the hard heart, the heart that is not open to the work of the Lord. And then you have the shallow heart, the heart that hears things but they don't apply it. And then you have the crowded heart, the heart that hears it but they're too consumed with the cares of this world. But then you have the good heart, the heart who hears but but then also applies. And so the Lord wants to give us joy. He wants us to grow, but we need to make sure that we're not the one putting the black plastic around things, trying to manufacture something that in reality will hinder our growth. And that's what Paul talks about here in this passage because there were people who were doing that. Paul begins his chapter and says, hey, rejoice in the Lord. And then right after he says that, then he starts talking about these false teachers. And these false teachers were people who were going to try to hinder their joy. They they are people who are going to try to hinder their growth by a manufactured false religion, by a works-based religion. Paul says, no, you can't have abiding joy following their teachings. You can't grow following their teachings. Only as you abide in Christ and continue to walk as he instructed us can we have joy. So we're going to look at Paul tonight as a growth consultant for us as we seek to bring forth fruit in our life. And as we work through this text, we'll learn some very important principles to apply that will help us to abide in joy and to continue to grow. So the first thing that we learn is in the first part of verse one, we learn that we can walk in joy by obeying the word of God. Very simply, Paul says, finally my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And so Paul begins by saying finally. He's not done yet. He's not, you know, as some Bible teachers do when they've been teaching for about 50 or 60 minutes, they say, you know, this is my last point, And then they go on for another 25 or 30 minutes kind of thing. No, really finally means that he's changing the subject. He's changing the subject for what he just got done talking about in chapter two. Now in chapter three, he's changing his focus to talking about remaining in joy by looking out for these false teachers. And then second, next week, we'll look at how he talks about pressing forward victoriously in the race that the Lord has called us to run. For now, Paul addresses his audience, who we know are believers. He calls them brethren, and so once again, we talk about this again, as we're in Christ, the Lord has given us the power to do things. So whatever we're talking about, we always need to bring it back to the fact that, because I'm a believer, I can do it. Sometimes I feel like we say this over and over and over, but it's something that we need to be reminded of whether we're talking about holiness, whether we're talking about joy, whether we're talking about peace, whether, whatever it might be, if you're a believer and the Lord tells you to do it, well, then he's given you the power to do it. And so Paul says, hey, guys, you're a believer. Rejoice in the Lord. It's pretty simple. He doesn't really give them the whole formula to do it. He just says to do it because the Lord's calling is also his enabling. If the Lord tells you to do something, then we also have the power to do it. Because we're in Christ. Now, as we talk about walking in joy and, you know, feeling joy, sometimes, if we're honest, you might be a person who says, well, that's just not me. (laughs) I'm just not a joyful person, maybe you say. You're more like Eeyore on (laughs) Winnie the Pooh. You're a realist, right? You know, kind of ho-hum. Now, this might actually be your personality naturally. It might be. Maybe you might not be a person who always feels joyful, and that's fine. You don't, you know, you don't have to be, try to you know, be something that you're not. Maybe it's not you, but maybe it's your circumstances. Many in our church are facing tough times and our prayers are with them. I mean, they're facing tough times that we, most of us can't even understand. And all, all we can say is, man, the Lord is with them and their grace, his grace is with them. So we're not saying that it, you know, this is easy. But no doubt there are also many in the church in Philippi that could feel the same way and they were going through many of the same things. I mean, there were many who were suffering physically for the gospel, and in chapter um, one and two, Paul says, hey guys, don't fear. You know, don't fear. Even if this persecution comes to you, don't fear, but rejoice the fact that the Lord is counted you worthy to suffer for his name. And so, they were in tough situations. But despite all this, Paul encouraged them with the command to rejoice in the Lord. So this encouragement can really be looked at as a promise. It's God's enabling for us to do so as we walk with him. It's kinda like the psalmist saying, hey, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. The psalmist experienced a true time of not really feeling joy at that moment, but yet he knew that joy was available to him as as he chose to bless the Lord. And even so, that's what Paul's saying here, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Regardless of the situation you find yourself, regardless of how you feel, Rejoice in the Lord, and as you do so, the Lord will give you joy. Now second, in the rest of verse one, and also into verse two, we learn that there are, um, that if we're to remain in joy, we must beware of false teachers. And so he says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious. For you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. So one of Paul's greatest themes in his letters Besides the grace of God and the mysteries of the church age, you know, talking about these things that were not really known, but now the Lord is revealing through him. One of those main things that he talks about a lot is abiding in pure doctrine and looking out for false teachers. I mean, really, if you read Paul's letters, a lot of his letters are as a result of false teachers. He said, hey, I'm writing this to you because there's these guys, and let me spend a couple chapters talking about these guys. And so Paul didn't feel that it was tedious for him or even unimportant for him to warn them about false teachers and then also to give them pure doctrine. It was essential for Paul as a pastor. He felt that it was a necessity for him to teach the word and to warn them of false teaching. A church does not te- that does not teach the Bible and address false teaching is committing a safety violation, right? I mean, Or or organizations and groups, a safety violation is a bad thing. It's a mishap, right? You you don't want a mishap, especially you guys. You know, in the Navy world, and the community, it's bad. ORM, right? I mean, you have to. As you think safety your whole life and everything you do, well, to not teach the Bible is a safety violation. It's really giving people a false hope, and it's putting them in a situation where they're not going to be safe. Safety is Paul's middle name. He is the safety guy. Right? He's the guy who has the safety glasses, safety jersey, safety hat, safety gloves, everything. He was Mr. Safety. And so he's going to teach them about these false teachers. You know, and he's going, if Paul was a prop guy, he would be wearing all that while he's teaching. You know, but, you know, he's going to tell them about these false teachers. And he's going to warn them about their tactics and really who they were. He, and, you know, in reality, he didn't want them to get sidetracked. So notice some of these characteristics that Paul points out. He's, first, he says they were dogs. It's not like one of those things like, where are my dogs at kind of thing. It's Really, he said, they are dogs. That's who they were. Now, the term dogs is, is referring to mangy scavenger dogs that roamed around on the streets and ate trash and dead carcasses. And so this, this is how he described them, hey guys, look out for these mangy scavenger dogs kind of thing. Now, very clearly, these are not the people that you want in the sheepfold, right? They're not the people that you wanna you know, get close to kind of thing and they're they're mangy dogs. They're not ones that you would want as a pet. And even so Paul says, hey, look out for these guys because, you know, they're they're mangy dogs. (laughs) 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 That's all I can say about that. They were evil workers. Now while these false teachers taught that following them was good and would bring glory to God, Paul says it's just the opposite. They were actually committing evil acts. Now, Paul would not have had a coexist sticker on his car. You know, if, if he had a car, I don't know if it would be a Prius or not. And I don't know if he would slap a coexist. I guarantee he would not slap a coexist sticker on the back of his car. You see, these guys that he was talking about were, were religious. They were very religious. And, but yet, because they were not following the teachings of Scripture... And because they were not teaching people the true teachings about the grace of God and salvation of Jesus Christ, Paul said they're evil workers. They're actually committing evil by not teaching you the true way to God and through Jesus Christ. So once again, Paul says, "Stay away from them. They are mutilators of the flesh." Now, this phrase in the fallen verses gives us insight into what Paul was talking about, and also gives us insight to who they were and into also their teachings. Paul is not talking, about, um, Paul's not talking about the people that he mentioned in chapter one. There was a group that were out preaching Christ, but they were doing it from a pure motive and for impure reasons. He was saying, these guys are out preaching Christ, but they're doing it in order to add affliction to me and my chains. But he said, hey, as long as Christ is preached, praise the Lord. He said, go for it. This is not them. These people are the ones that he talked about in the book of Galatians, and we learned about them when we were studying through that book. These are what, what Bible teachers call Judaizers. They were false teachers who sought to put believers under the trip that they needed to believe in Jesus but also keep the law of Moses. It basically it's faith plus works. And you know, these guys, most of them were Jews. Most all, all of them were Jews, and they were and they were saved, and you know, they were desiring to put believers under the law, and so they had the Jerusalem Council there in Acts 15. And the verdict came out that Gentiles were not to convert to the law in order to be Christians. I mean, they were saved by the grace of God, just as all believers are saved by the grace of God. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So you don't have to keep the law. The law has been rendered null and void in the sense that Christ fulfilled it. And so we're not under the law, we're under the law of Christ. Well, these Jewish teachers didn't like that very much they still sought to bring believers under the law. And so what they would do is they would hear all the places that Paul was when, when Paul would go into a town and he would spend a couple of weeks there in time and he would preach the gospel and everybody would get saved and he would leave. They would come in behind him. And they'd say, hey, did Paul come in here and teach you guys about the grace of God? Yeah. He told you about Jesus, right? Yeah. He'd well, that's good. But hey, we want to add some more teachings, kind of give you the full gospel kind of thing. And their full teaching was If you're a Gentile, in order for you to really be saved and righteous, you have to convert to the law of Moses. And so if you're a Gentile, specifically a male, what that included is, first of all, circumcision and obedience to the law of Moses. And then also you're required to keep all the 613 commandments that were in the law as well. So Paul talking about these guys said that they're actually mutilators. Why? Because their focus was on the cutting away of the flesh on circumcision. And and so Paul said that's really their their whole basis. They didn't really care about the heart and the work of God. They only cared about the flesh and, and the fact that they can try to convert you back to the law. Now, being aware and on guard of false teachers is essential to both protect us spiritually and also to protect our joy. Think about the confusion that these false teachers would have brought in to these new believers who were excited about the Lord delivering them from you know, sin and, and death. I had this experience when I was a new believer. I was excited about you know, just the fact that the Lord delivered me from my sin. I was saved in high school, and I fell away you know, towards the end of my high school um, time, junior, senior year, but the Lord drew me back through, through another believer. I was running from the Lord, but I couldn't run that long. I could run, but I couldn't hide. And finally, the Lord drew me back by his grace. And I was just so excited about bringing my Bible to work and, and being a Christian. So my friend says, hey, why don't you come over to my uncle's house and we'll have Bible study over there. And I said, yeah, great, sure, let's do that. So it turns out he, you know, he, he comes out and an older gentleman and he's involved with a group called the Oneness Pentecostal Church. They're not the same as Orthodox Pentecostal, but they, believe, they don't believe in the Trinity and they believe that you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus and speak with tongues in order to be saved, so if you're not baptized and you believe in the Trinity, well, then you're going to hell. So I was all fired up, yeah, let's read the Bible. And he started busting out all these verses, obviously taking them out of context. And I left there crying because I thought I was gonna go to hell. You know, but I had some brothers here in the church who took me all, you know, under their wing and, and showed me the scriptures and, and the Bible, and you know, really my, my joy was restored. But I know that, that in our experience firsthand, and no doubt, this is exactly what these believers were feeling as these guys came into the church, crept in and says, hey, Paul, you just left, right? Yeah, well, hey, well, let's give you some more stuff. Actually, Paul is, Paul is really a false teacher. And so we need to be aware of false teaching, and the way that we do so is by knowing the truth. And as we know the truth, we'll be able to combat the error. We'll be able to convict those who contradict, as Titus says, or as Paul says to Titus. So we need to stand strong. And we need to look out for one another and especially look out for false teachers. Now, third in verses three through nine, we learn that we're to remain in joy by realizing that our salvation is based upon God and his grace. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, the fact that Paul refers to himself and these believers as the circumcision can really refer to two things. It could refer to saved Jews they were Jewish believers, right? But also it can refer to all believers in Jesus in general. I say that because Paul talked about this in Colossians. Paul wrote to the church of Colossae and many of them were Gentiles. Most of all of them were Gentiles. And he wrote to them and he called them the circumcision and he explained what he meant by that. Let me read it to you. It's in Colossians chapter two, verses 11 through 14. Paul says, in, in him... You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through, the, through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And so you and I, as unbelievers, were controlled by our sinful appetites, our sinful desires. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Yet when we heard the gospel and the grace of God worked on our heart, we believed on the Lord and The old man, our sin nature, was put to death. That which dominated our minds, that which dominated our hearts, that was put to death. It was cut away. It was rendered dead. Rather than being a dead man walking, we're now raised with Christ in the newness of life to have victory and joy. Now this is illustrated in the believer's baptism. As you're buried with Christ in water, that symbolizes and illustrates the fact that you died with Christ. Just as Christ died and was buried, even so the old you died. You went bye-bye, right? And as you come up, you're raised to the newness of life with Christ to a, to a new life, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now notice Paul links this newness of life with the fact that the law was fulfilled. It says the handwriting of requirements of the law was fulfilled in Christ, it was, it was taken away. And the reason why the law has been taken away is because Christ fulfilled the law. The law was only temporary until it can be totally fulfilled. And when Christ died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. and therefore, since we're in Christ, we have died to the law, and now we're raised to the newness of life. We're no longer under the principles of the law. We're under now the principles of Christ and His teachings. And so now there's many things in the Old Testament that obviously apply to us. And there's many things from the law that are reiterated in the New Testament. But as far as the basis for our Christian walk is not the law, it's the teachings of Christ and its apostles. And those things are, are, are given and illustrated even in, in the Old Testament at times as we find applications and things like that as we read through the scriptures. But Paul says, you're freed from the law. You know, you, you're, you're the circumcision. Your flesh has been cut away. Now you live to the newness of life. Now, you know, these believers were an outward symbol of the fact that they were in Christ. And just as, you know, circumcision was an outward, you know, ritual, which demonstrate that a person was under the law of Moses, even so, these believers' lives were now evidence to the world that they were in Christ. And some of these characteristics that would be seen from their life are the following three things. First, they would worship God in the spirit. Now, some say this should be understood as worshiping God through the spirit, Either way, true worship is not based on ritual or objects, but it's based upon a response to the Spirit of God in our hearts. That's what true worship is. True worship is responding to the Lord as he works on our heart. Now, the believer worships God. uh, um, As the believer worships God, the Lord will give us joy. We worship because we're joyful, but also we worship to be joyful. And once again, we see that in the Psalms. Bless the Lord, all oh my soul, and the Lord will fill us with his joy. Second, we rejoice in Christ. The believer is to be continually reminded that we are in Christ. And the fact that we're in Christ should fill us with joy because we have everything that we need in Christ. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, two verses really, is 1 Corinthians 1, through 31. Paul says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that is that as it is written he who glories let him glory in the Lord and so you and I because we're in Christ have everything that we need we have our salvation we have our righteousness we have our strength we have wisdom we have everything that we need to navigate through life nothing is based upon us so we have nothing to boast about All we can do is glory and give praise to the Lord. It fills us with joy. Third, we also are to have no confidence in the flesh. Confidence in the flesh has to do with seeking to be righteous before a holy God by our own works. We also call this legalism. Legalism is that false principle that God, the the false principle that, that God grants acceptance to people, considers them righteous and worthy of being in his presence, on the grounds of their obedience to a set of rules, apart from putting their trust in God, relying on him, loving him, and accepting his love for them. That's what legalism is. Thinking, hey, if I will do these certain things, well, then God's gonna love me, and he's gonna make me righteous. I reality of the Bible says, no, you're righteous because you're in Christ. He's given you his righteousness. Now, if there was any person that could boast about the fact that they did righteous things, You know, if there was any person who could actually be righteous in the sight of God, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Look what he says about himself. Although I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he has confidence in the flesh, I am more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, Blameless. And so these guys wanted to boast. They wanted to have a boasting war. And Paul says, Hey, well, hey, I can bring out some big guns too. He said, You want to talk about being a Jew? I am also a Jew. You want to talk about being born of the law? I was born and circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the bloodline of Israel. I can trace my family all the way back to the tribe of Benjamin. You want to talk about culturally being a Hebrew? He said, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, the Hellenist was the Greek culture. Some Jews adopted that. But many Jews who lived in the area of Jerusalem, in Judea, they were Hebrews, meaning that they kept to the traditions of the Jews. You know, They followed the oral law and all those things. And Paul says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a strict Hebrew, I followed that culture. This is seen in the fact that he was set apart to be a Pharisee. He dedicated his life to study both the written and the oral law. He was zealous for the law so much so that he persecuted the church because he thought that they were breaking the law. He sought to keep the law so much and and, and with such a zeal that before the law, he was blameless in the sense that on his own works, he said before the law, he tried to keep it blamelessly. Be all these things fell short of true righteousness because true righteousness can only come in Christ. And that's what he says here. He says, you know, but, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Paul realized that he could never truly be righteous by keeping the law, only in Christ could he be righteous. He considered these things that he spent his entire life doing a loss. In other words, he said, I gave it up willingly because I know that I've been given so much more in Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Paul counted all things in the past as rubbish. He considered them Nothing compared to the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. The fact that he knew the gospel, the fact that he knew that a holy God will give him his righteousness by faith alone in Jesus just blew Paul's mind, caused him to rejoice. Now, if you're to remain in joy, then we need to follow Paul's example. Turn from legalism and abide in grace. And as we do so, the Lord, his his joy will continue to fill our hearts. Fourth, in verses 10 through 11, we can remain in joy by remembering the present work that God is doing both in and through us. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So God's work in Paul's life did not end with his salvation. It was continuing on. You see, we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. God wants to produce good works in our life. Paul said, I have a simple desire to know Jesus more and more each day. Paul wanted to know God more and more and he wanted to know this power that is now living in him and desiring to work through him. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you and I. And Paul says, I wanna know more about that. He was stirred up to do so. Paul's understanding of Christ and God's power equipped him to stand strong even in the trials and tribulations that he faced. He counted his sufferings a joy and an honor because he knew that he was being conformed to the image of the Lord as he drew closer to Christ through these things and finally he would be rewarded one day before the bema of Christ. Now, if we're to abide in joy, we need to, like Paul, remember the present work that God is doing in our life. God's work's not done. He has a lot more to do. But praise the Lord as we learned in that video of Ruth, the Lord through his providence is doing that daily. He's sanctifying us through his word and by his spirit and through our circumstances. So in closing, joy is one of those characteristics that is seen in the fruit of the spirit that the Lord wants to produce in our life. Now, despite you know, our circumstances or situations, the Lord wants to produce this, but that being said, let's follow, let's, follow Paul's, let's, follow Paul's, let's follow Paul's advice, there we go, and get those words out that we will in no way hinder the work of the Lord. Amen.